basking in the sun at North Sydney Oval. It's the Rugby League Cemetery. Yes, this is the Rugby League Cemetery, and very good to have you with us for another uh, foray uh, into the history of Rugby League through a game from the past, and we're looking today. Bears fans, I know it's been a long wait. I know that we've put you through a bit of torment. We looked at 91 when they uh, went down dramatically to Penrith. Uh, We looked at 97 when they went down dramatically to Newcastle. But today, it is a Bears win. Uh, You had to stick with us and believe that this day would come. We're going back to 1994 to the minor semi-final. North Sydney 15, Brisbane 14. Thank you very much. In front of 36,011 at the Sydney Football Stadium. And Gaz, uh, I don't know about you, but I loved watching this. This is very, very good football. Absolutely, Morgie. Uh, Beautiful to be here. I loved this game. I had a really, really good, enjoyable time watching this. Uh, We watched a lot of really close games. We had a lot lot of really good football. This was both. uh, The first half in particular was just lovely football. I'm I'm a big fan of 90s football. We've we've really waxed about 80s football, and it's great as well. Everything has its its ups and downs. But 90s football, I I do really, really love that mid-90s free-flowing sort of style. It's sort of a mould between. They're just... There's maybe a bit more athleticism in the game than the 80s, but they haven't quite got into this regimented stuff they do here now. They're still playing that free-flowing style, but with you know a lot of long passing and a bit, bit of a bit more athleticism, maybe. And it's just really good. Yeah, to watch. that's interesting. It's interesting. It's interesting. Maybe the um, maybe the kind of, the kind of sports science uh, was ahead of the coaching science. You know that the yeah 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 that's interesting. Yeah, you're just starting to get those athletes into the game, aren't you? But they're not doing that regimented, you stand here, you pass this way, sort of call this yeah. play stuff. It's still the old style game. You know? Yeah, but you've, the, the players can do more. Like they're, they're a bit quicker and a bit bigger and they, better, they can do more with the ball and all that kind of stuff. But it's still kind of rapid, these rules, and the ball still zings around from side to side. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's um, this game... You know, we would think about it now as a huge upset to think of the Bears knocking off the Broncos. But in the context of the season, uh, the Bears, of course, had finished second uh, on 35 points, uh, won 17, lost four, drew one. This this season in 1994 is unbelievable. Listen to this. They won seven in a row to start the season. Mm -hmm. So they tear out of the gates. Then they lose three in a row and have a draw. So the record goes from 7-0 to 7-3-1. And then they won nine in a row. In the middle of the season, <laughs> they lost a couple at the end of the year, but went into the finals in second place, two points off the lead. Uh, they lost 26-12 to Canberra in week one in a 2v3. The, uh, the table that year was Canterbury, who won the minor premiership with 36, Norths on 35, so they're only one behind the lead. Canberra on 34, Manly on 33, and then Brisbane, who of course had won the premiership in 1992 and in 93 and who some people at that time thought might win the premiership forever because they were so much stronger and so better resourced than the Sydney teams. They finished six points, six points behind fourth uh, and nine points behind first. They had a fairly scratchy season 
Uh, they, but they finished hard. They won six of their last seven. There were no... Uh, they, they, they'd been ninth as recently as round 16, uh, but rattled home to make the uh, to finish fifth, which, incidentally, was the position they finished in 1993 when they won the comp. Uh, people say it's very tough to go through from fifth because you've got to win every week. Uh, but they'd done it the year before. And having finished fifth, they would have thought they were every chance. And I suspect all the Sydney teams thought they were every chance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you look at the side they've got on paper, which I'm sure we'll get to, uh, and you look at the run they come in with, winning that many games and coming in with that sort of momentum, I don't think anyone would have run, to run into them. Um, it's one of those years you sort of wouldn't feel that there was much reward for finishing up the top and drawing the Broncos <laughs> in elimination games. Fairly easy in the playoffs. Um, it's, yeah, look, it's a fantastic side. And look, they had a bit of a habit of this. Um, the peak Broncos from the mid-90s all the way through to the early 2000s is they could have these weird years where they were off and then they'd click into gear. Um, we spoke about their famous 99 season where they somehow made the finals after losing eight out of nine to start the year and stuff. They, they had these clunky seasons across different times where they sort of were a bit hungover or something, but they did tend to go to the right end of the year. Wayne tended to have them sort of going at the right end. And, you know, he had a bit of a habit of that at other clubs as well at St. George. And, you know, he tended to get it right at the right time. So wherever they were sort of coming on the table, they're not really a side you'd ever want to pull out of a hat and draw in a final, uh, I don't think. Well, we know how good that Manly side of the, of the mid-90s was. Uh, they, they knocked them off 16-4 in the first week of the, of the 94 semis. Uh, so there was every reason to think, and I'm sure at the time, uh, people would have felt, oh, here we go, it's on again. You know, they'd won in 92, won in 93. This is, of course, in the era where St George are saying, we can't possibly compete with Brisbane, we're going to have to merge with Easts and all this kind of thing. Uh, there is, yeah, at going into this game, even though Norths had finished second and miles ahead on the table of Brisbane, uh, you, you wouldn't really have, uh, have necessarily wanted to be on them. Uh, we might have a look at the teams. If go, go on. Yeah, no, just one one thing. I, I think one thing that bears mentioning is just in that period of the nineties, there was probably more runs from the bottom half of the finals than there are now. So the Bulldogs, of course, yeah. famously win a competition from scraping into the finals. Um, the Bulldogs make a grand final from in in ninety eight from what eighth out of ten final teams or something like it was quite yeah, low so. something like that. and and yeah and they've won it in the, in the middle there was just it, for whatever reason there seemed to be either less of a gap between the top teams and the ones at the bottom of the final series or they were just it was easier to get through for no real reason of the table it just it doesn't happen much now you don't see a lot of teams really go all the way from down the bottom very often and it did seem to happen a little bit at that time yeah, that's true. That's that's true. There is a bit of a run of this. Brisbane doing it in '93, North, uh, Canterbury doing it in '95. The the sides uh, for Norths: Matt Sears, David Hall, Ivan Cleary, Chris Caruana, Sean Hoppy. Uh, Sean Hoppy, fifteen tries in uh, in 1994. Greg Florimo and Jason Taylor in the halves. Taylor as captain in his first season with Norths. He played. Uh, he'd scored 217 points that year, kicking at 76. percent Thanks very much. Pretty good going in the early 90s. Uh, and the forward pack, Tony Hearn, Mark Soden, Mario Fennick, thanks very much, Gary Larson, David Fairley, the 1994 Rothmans medalists, and Billy Moore at lock on the bench, Craig Wilson, Gavin Jones, and Adrian Toole, coached by Peter Louie. Meanwhile, for Brisbane, Julian O'Neill at fullback, uh, three-quarter line of Wendell Saylor, Steve Renoff, 23 tries in 1994. <laughs> Steve Renoff, he's at his absolute peak. 
Chris Johns and Michael Hancock, the halves Kevin Walters and the captain Alan Langer, the forwards Andrew G, Kevin Walters, Gavin Allen, Mark Hone, Alan Cairn, Terry Madison, and the bench John Plath, Brett Galeer, Peter Ryan, and Glenn Lazarus, coached, of course, by Wayne Bennett. Yeah, a um, couple of <laughs> things about that. Not a bad bench, not a bad bench, Brisbane. No. Uh, not bad when you can bring the brick on. Um, I think uh, one thing I did, that's what I wanted to mention in the pregame, and I'll do it now, is just it's very funny. When they run onto the field, they only name, the, the TV commentators only take you through the starting 13 and put the starting 13 up because we're at a time in the game where that's still in the 80s. It didn't really matter who was on the bench. Like they tended to come on for blood bins and with 10 minutes to go and stuff, and your 13 players played most of the game. So it, by the mid-'90s, they're still showing only the first 13. I just think that's worth warrants mentioning for two reasons. Is that Firstly, we're now at the point of the game where uh, the game has moved to a style of play or a standard or whatever you want to call it where Glenn Lazarus is on the bench. And I think when you get to that point, you possibly need to mention the interchange <laughs> bench when you show people who's playing. Yes. Um, secondly is that we're only four years away here. We're only in all three years, only the 95, yeah. 96, 97 away from unlimited interchange. And Channel 9 still aren't showing who's even on the bench. That's a very quick change in the yeah. game. Because once you're in unlimited interchange, Glenn Lazarus is going off in the eighth minute and all this sort of stuff. Um, and it's very important who your bench is. And here we are, you know, and we don't even, like, they don't even think it's important enough to show the TV viewers who's actually on the interchange. So it's very much caught in this time. Um, I've heard it said by some other people that until Super League, it's sort of all still the 1980s. Like, with the coverage, with the style of game, with the coaching, everything is sort of still in the 80s yeah. until the Super League war. And then we have the NRL era. At least 90s isn't really a, a distinct time in terms of style or TV coverage, the football itself. They're still playing this, you know, this starting 13 matters. You know, they don't bother showing you the bench on the TV. The coverage is the same. They play a similar style. And, you know, it's not until... Yeah. That's the NRL true. that it changes. And that's just, a, I know it's a little point, but I just, it sort of goes to that feel. And I sort of agree with that sometimes watching these games. Well, I would say that uh, the, the, you know, 94, for example, looks a lot, looks and feels a lot more like uh, the football of the eighties than it does yep. the football of now. I think you'd have to it agree. Looks a, it looks a lot more like 89 than it does like 98. Is yeah. The thing. yeah. 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 That's right. Despite being closer to, you know, 89. Yeah. Or, yeah, sorry, to 98. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's true. You know. uh, the 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 match itself. Uh, uh, we've got a pregame. It, it, Rabs. We talked a little bit before about the final system, and this is in the old top five. Rabs doesn't clear it up much when he says it is described as the major as the minor semi final, but for both these teams, it is very much the major semi final. <laughs> Yeah, it's very funny. I love the term minor semi-final. Like, I mean, two yes. teams are playing to be knocked out. One of them finished second. That's yeah. What's minor? And it's just a good descriptor in what's essentially the entertainment industry. You want to watch the minor semi-final? You want to watch the major one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's doing? That's, that's why, true. Why call it this? They, yeah, well, it's noteworthy that they've now got rid of that. Uh, they, they pan around the ground before the game. Did you get onto the, uh, the blokes with the watermelons on their heads? I think you know very well that I did. And yes. I've got a note here that says uh, there is not one of the proudest Australian traditions is dickheads wearing watermelons on their head. Yes. The interesting yeah. thing about this is that they had it, um, they had it kind of horizontal rather than just scooping the top out of the watermelon and putting it on your head, like vertically, they had cut yeah. out the middle of the watermelon horizontally and like had it wedged on their heads. So that there were like a few inches in both directions, like over the back and over the front. 
I've never yeah, seen that spells, before. I haven't, and it spells danger because you turn around quickly. You're knocking bikes in the head. Well, this is... <laughs> you're clunking watermelons. I think it's. I think it's brookie. I, I do. So I think do I. Error being made. And also, yeah. watermelon stinks after not very long. Like mm. watermelon goes from being very pleasant to just rancid stench within about ten minutes. You got like I just well, think after a day yeah. of football. I just also put to you that you're right. But I mean, imagine some, you've got to hollow it out. It's, you can't buy watermelon husks. Like, no. it, like you've got to go home and think I'm going to the footy tomorrow. Yeah. Let's sit here and just carve this out, get it out, get it ready to wear. It's a lot of preparation to it sort is. of it's go so to a game cool. of football. Well, they had obviously done a lot of preparation because they also had shirts that said melon heads. <laughs> um, <laughs> I missed that. Yeah. Just in case you couldn't tell from the melon on their head, they were the melon heads. Uh, that was a nice touch. There were also hundreds of, possibly thousands, of these weird Coca-Cola-sponsored visors. Mm. See that? Yeah, yeah, I did. I don't know what that was about. It's a weird time in the game. It's sort of that they'd only in the late 80s discovered advertising as a source of revenue, really, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that this is something we could actually do. And you, you sort of get these... Um, it's a time of two things. One, it's lawless, you know, like we've got the Rothmans medal and the Winfield Cup and all this. Uh, and then secondly, it's very like gimmicky because they, they haven't sort of put much targeting into what works. So you just get a whole heap of, you know, <laughs> shit like Coca-Cola visors flogged everywhere. And then it, it's lawless because anything can advertise. And then it's just a whole heap of shitty gimmicks. And sort of eventually later on, they might work out, you know, that that's, doesn't necessarily work or what you do, but it, it was, it, that's one thing about nineties. It is a very distinct time in advertising and that sort of stuff. I think so that yeah, we they just had discovered real... it works, but Arco's still running it. Some old bloke from me <laughs> still trying to work out what, how we should do it. They had a real interesting tack. There's a lot of tack, you know, just tacky. Yeah. Dots, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's true. Uh, I, we talked about this before, but the fanfare as the players run out mm. uh, is so invigorating. I mean, they need to bring it back. I, I, this, this has to happen. That has to be the that they have to do this again when players run out for finals. Yeah, it's good. You could, you'd like to see sort of Joey Leilua and something running out to that, wouldn't you? Yeah, your blood boiling. Yeah, they also they cut the blocker on the sideline pre-game. The 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 rugby league fashion of the era blocker in the Channel Nine branded Wide World of Sports bomber jacket. Over the top of the tie and collared shirt? Oh, yeah. Let me tell you, uh, yeah. as you know, I'm a bit of a collector of vintage jerseys. If I could get my hand on a Channel 9 bomber, not necessarily blocker's size, <laughs> uh, but, but like, it, it, I don't know, is that Peter Sterling's bomber jacket or something yeah. like, that? like that? That would be a real find. And I would be wearing that to work with the, with the tie and sort Absolutely. of business shirt underneath wide plenty of times. Yeah, yeah, I'd pay fairly good money, I must say, for the, for the yeah. wide world sports bomber. Um, it was a good time in the game. They went through a real phase of uh, experimental mm. fashion on Channel Nine. They've kind yeah. of now they've all it's block all. Is your horse for that? Is your, is your vehicle for experimental fashion is blocker. If, if you're going to try and if you're going to try and seed a trend, put it on Steve Roach's body. Um, <laughs> he, yeah, it's it's kind of he, <laughs> they went through another phase of like these R.M. Williams style kind of big coats. A few years yeah. after this, there was a real period of wide world of sports branded kind of overcoats and stuff, which unfortunately has gone away much like everything else. 
Uh, the only good thing, you know, that's the only good modern trend is they had a really bad time of suits and ties and everything. And just lately, there's been this real trend to like people like Joey Johns wearing trench coats and stuff, which is yeah. really, like, it's, it's the first sign of life in fashion in a long time. And it's a long way from the bomber jacket, obviously. But yeah. it's, it's just good to see, like, uh, there is something about seeing Brad Fittler and Andrew Johns in sort of like, a really sort of classy, um, well-manicured sort of... <laughs> really kind of... Really trendy kind of tail and overcoats. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, looking the, like Daniel Craig or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, if they're looking for a new Bond. <laughs> the, on the subject of Blocker, his first comment in this game, he immediately, they go down to the sideline to him, and he immediately starts talking up, like of all the things that are happening in the game, it immediately starts talking up the likelihood of a blue between Gavin Allen and Mario Fennec. <laughs> like, first comment. <laughs> no, no, I think it's going to be on. He says, they've had a few words already. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to be fair, if you go, like, I, I reckon you would have made some money over here if you sat in the sideline pre-game and started betting on Mario Fennec at a blue. You'd come out in front. Yeah, like, It's just every week. I think you'd have come out with your money, like, sort of made a fairly decent living. Laura, Laura Baffertis. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. That's true. We'll talk more about Mario shortly, I suspect. But, oh, we uh, will. Yeah. Mm. But it was just marvellous to hear Blocker immediately kind of going to um, the possibility of a stink between the forwards. The, the, the first yeah. 20 minutes of this game are fantastic, aren't they? Because it's just um, the ball is moving. There's a lot of incident and event and, and just a lot of really good, lively, kind of vibrant football. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, um, this that first 20 minutes is the most enjoyable... Uh, football we've watched in my opinion I, I loved it I thought it was the quality was outstanding this game was very much a classic sort of champion versus a very hungry up-and-comer you really yeah. got that sense like you had Brisbane were clearly a very classy side and a pretty experienced because they were sort of handling it as best they could but the Bears were just hungry and this was like a moment for them they wanted this a lot and and what you got was this I got this sense that this first half and the first 20 minutes in particular, but the first half almost as a whole, I reckon that's as well as North's could play. Like I reckon they came out and produced the best football that that team was capable of playing. And you had there this team inside that had won competitions trying to just hold the damn back. Like they were there going, putting every bit yeah. of while and experience and, and, you know, they had Alan Langer and these guys and they had these forwards and they were doing everything they could to just not, Cack it in and be down twenty nil or something early. They, they were mm. just fighting and fighting to stay in the fight, and that was a wonderful sort of that. That was just a really fascinating contest to watch. Just really good, really clever, experienced side fighting against someone who had come out, wanted it, and just played their best football. They chucked it around, it stuck. They offloaded the ball from the talk of Fatty and these guys in the commentary box. They seemed to be trying some stuff they didn't always do. They said there was a few guys running, like Larson running a bit wider, a bit of passing in the forward. So it sounded like they also came out and tried to do a bit more than they possibly needed to when they were playing sides beneath them. They sort of knew yeah. they had to do that. And and I thought that it was really, really good football, really good half of football. And, and, and as you said, 20 minutes in particular. Yeah, the, the first try and the lead up to the first try, the, there's a great... Gary Larson, I've got to tell you, we've watched two games with Gary Larson now. And I know we, we've talked a little bit in, in previous episodes about guys who have a really big rep who we've watched and who haven't done a lot or yep. blokes who don't have much of a rep that we've watched. Oh, God, how good was he, you know? Yeah. Um, Gary Larson is in the latter category for me. He was fantastic in the 95 Origin game we watched, and he's yep. fantastic in this game, like really good. 
um, robust, yep. hard runs and a bit of class. And he throws an offload around the corner, the classic kind of forwards around the corner, pop it up to Matt Sears, who absolutely, dare I say, sears onto the ball. Goes like shot out of a cannon on the halfway line uh, and is dragged down. Uh, but then a couple of plays later, while they're up that end, uh, there's a really wide ball from Jason Taylor. They go through the hands. Uh, Fennick, Larson, and eventually Florimo bounces over from close by and it's 4-0. All of it, it's just, like I said, it's just really vibrant football, like hitting someone expre- like an express pace right up the middle of the park with an offload and then getting it wide and using your outside men. Uh, it's yep. just good footy. Yep, it's making the big like, offload for the big set skiving break. You go all the way downfield and then you reload, bang, straight away, hit him again like with the big yep. spread. It's really good football. Clever from Jason Taylor when they get down there to get it out there. Great from Larson to start it off. Sears, great play from Sears. Um, people that like, weren't watching closely at this time or forgotten a little bit or a bit younger might not realize. So this was a real, this, there was a lot of, a fair bit of Matt Sears mania at this time. Yeah. So um, I'm a bit young to remember it clearly, but I've, I've gone and had a look at it. So Sears was a rookie of the year and he really, really burst on. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a bit of talk that whilst he, he had a good career, he probably didn't ever quite get to where he looked like in 94, but he burst yeah. on, as you said, North have had this great year. Um, they'd signed, Ivan Cleary to play fullback, who, who was who was a pretty rated player, and he actually got shifted because Sears just did so well. They had to move him, so they recruited this guy in to be their fullback, and Sears came on and was doing this stuff. And they went, "Oh, he's got to play," and he sort of forced the recruit out, goes into fullback. Um, for people that are interested, I suppose a comparison. He reminds me a lot of Ryan Pappenhausen today. Yeah, yeah. Um, that he's really powerful, small and fast. Not a passer, was any of that stuff, but he was really quick. And really yeah. um, and low to the ground and, that's and strong. Yep. Support play up the middle and that yep. sort of thing. Yep. Yeah. 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 He played a lot like like that. And similar in the way they burst on too. Puffenhouse and burst on in a very similar way last year where when he came on, you all went like, Oh, what's doing here? Who's this? And that was um, yeah. that that was what the feeling was with Sears. We went, Jesus, have a go at this bloke who's just sort of come onto the scene and um, anyway, that that was Really, really good football that first try, and like you said, Larson. I think we might have watched three of him if he played in the Penrith, and he might have played in the Penrith. Oh, he did. I think he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Um, yeah. And I couldn't agree more. He's one of those guys whose reputation is just enhanced every time we see him play. Yeah, who probably isn't remembered as such by, uh, you know, probably isn't remembered as such by by people now as one of. He's the remembered as a bit of a warrior, like a yeah, tackler yeah, yeah. and a warrior, not as yeah. a. Um, there's a Dallas, there's a Dallas Johnson vibe to that when he called people a workhorse. They made a lot of tackles. Like yeah. that's that's selling Gary Larson short on what we've seen so far in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, then a, a couple of minutes after this, it's just all bears. It's one of those people at the ground that day, and, and every team has days like this, where you go into a big final against a big team, and then it's like you like they score twice in eleven minutes. It's like God, it, it's, it's it's happening. We're we're, we're going to win. This is our like we're having a day here. Um, they they get a penalty on halfway. Uh, they roosted into touch. And on last tackle, Jason Taylor, you, you talk about people doing things, the Bears players kind of having to push it a little bit and do stuff they wouldn't ordinarily do. Jason Taylor on last tackle gets it. And instead of kicking, which he was in the, which he was famous for, which was his game, he launches the big Harbour Bridge ball out wide to, uh, to David Hall, who goes past a couple, has a lot of work to do uh, down, the, down that touchline and gets it down. And all of a sudden it's 8-0. And they have had everything go their way in the first 11 minutes of this game. 
Yep, absolutely. And make it go their way too. It's a, a lovely, lovely football. Again, beautiful long pass. Took a risk. Again, one they might not necessarily have taken if they were playing someone at the bottom of the table. Yeah. You know, but they came in and thought they, even though they were ahead of Brisbane for the year, I think they knew they had to play some footy and Brisbane had some tries in them with that sort of team. You weren't going to get them sort of 6 nil. And they've come in, taken the odds on. And, you know, that could have not worked, but it was it was really good football. Really good. And you're right. It was just bang, bang, uh Done, and you're right, in the crowd, you've got this real sense, this is our day. Uh, Bears fans might be forgiven for being sceptical that it was their day and, and reserving judgment. Yeah, yeah. Because they've sort of uh, been, been hurt before. But, um, yeah, no, that's exactly right. I think the only thing to add is that in typical Bears finals fashion, they are now none from two. Jason Taylor misses <laughs> both the goals. Yes. And despite completely, you know, rip-roaring the Premiers for 12 minutes, it is only 8-0 <laughs> because the best kicker in the competition has, again, not kicked any of the goals. And yes. they were tough ones, but, you know. Yeah, but it is. It's a very... It's, it's got that feel about it, doesn't it? Oh, God, he's just missed again, you know. Uh, eight, it's nil eight. They're going to be down 12-8 at halftime or something. Yeah, you sort yeah. of get it in the back of your mind, don't you, if you're a fan? Absolutely. Uh, there is a moment after 13 minutes where Alan Cairn goes off injured. Uh, and that brings Lazarus onto the field. It's not quite clear to me why Lazarus was on the bench, but uh, they do mention that he'd had some court trouble through the week. And apparently, so I did a bit of looking into this. I, did, I ended up on the National Library of Australia's Trove page to try and find out what Glenn Lazarus was in court for. Turns out, in 1993, I think during Origin Camp, he was charged with assault at the was Rocks. He? Yeah, at the Rocks. So he gets into a bingle with this bloke at a nightclub gets charged with assault. The coppers come to the nightclub and haul him out of there under arrest, right? In the middle of origin camp, as nearly as I can tell, he doesn't miss any games. Uh, the, 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 the article about it in the Canberra Times is minute. Like, it's a really small bit of print that he's been charged. You know, New South Wales forward Glenn Lazarus was charged with assault. I think it's in, a, it's in about the ninth paragraph of an article about changes, about Les Davidson being brought into the New South Wales team. They go, oh, and also, Glenn Lazarus has been charged with assault in a nightclub, right? And then the week before this match, he went to court and the magistrate found that while the, the assault was proved, he was provoked. <laughs> so he was found not guilty and, and that was it. Um, a couple of things. One, I was amazed in reading the coverage of this, how little coverage there is and how little hype there is about one of the most high-profile footballers in the game being charged with a like a violent assault. Um, if that happened now, it would be bigger than coronavirus. Like if mm. if Boyd Cordner, for example, I'm just thinking about a similarly kind of high profile New South Wales mm. forward. If Boyd Cordner was was charged with assault in a nightclub, there would be talk of mandatory in the middle scheme. of Origin camp. Yeah, in the middle of Origin yeah, camp, there'd be on talk the bonding of, night. <laughs> yeah, well, there'd be talk of Origin culture, and we need to do something about the culture of rugby league and. Boyd Corner needs to be stood down. He needs to think about what he's done. All this kind of stuff. I don't. I can't see that Lazarus even missed any football for all of this. Um, but the other thing which jumps out to me about this: why was somebody provoking Glenn Lazarus? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to answer part B first and just say I have no idea. And that was my first thing: is that who was provoking the brick and why? What was the yeah? Intention? Imagine being what were they hoping to achieve. And you yeah. and I, you know, you and I have spent some time in nightclubs over the years. Mm. Uh, imagine being out. I don't know how much, how how much kind of drink you'd have to have in you, or how much of something else, to look across the bar, look across the club, see a bloke who looks like Glenn Lazarus. Okay, yeah, we're going to go and upset this bloke. We're going to pick him. There's no amount of any substance 
in the world that would result in me trying to fight Glenn Lazarus no. or being nasty at Glenn Lazarus or in any way risking someone the size of Glenn Lazarus uh, taking me on. I saw Glenn Lazarus outside the uh, outside Suncorp Stadium a couple of years ago uh, when he was running for the Senate, mm. and he had when he after he'd split from Palmer, and he's out. I got to tell you, he was about like forty-five. I'm still not picking him. Yeah, but he does weigh four times the, the weight of you. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he's um, in the prime of his career. Yeah. What are you doing? You're dead right. Um, it's interesting. So that's 1993, right? It, isn't it interesting how fast things change? And again, I wonder how much of it is the Super League war and news and everything that comes in then. But like we, we've recently, of course, to plug ourselves, done, done a piece on Tim Smith and yeah. the, the way that he was basically run out of the game for offences such as being drunk at training, um, a unproven assault on, on Santa Claus at a Christmas party and grabbing Michael Clark on the arm. Like there was a yeah. two-page pious moralising by 2007, 2006, 2006, yeah. it was pious moralising. But I need to, to think, think about it. his career. Yeah. And where he's going, um, because he he touched Michael Clark on the arm in a nightclub and then left. Like when the bouncer was gone, why don't you just leave it? He did, and left, and that's causing these sort of incidents. And it's just funny. And I don't mean to pick Lazarus particularly here, but types that are like Lazarus, people who did get away with this sort of stuff, are also the types in the media now who go, "Oh, he's going to throw his career away. Needs to be better." When this does happen, you get these people who got away with doing this, rightly or wrongly. I mean, there's an argument that it should be a one line in the bottom of the paper, but there's guys who didn't get called on these behaviours, not particularly him, but a lot of them, who are now the ones that jump on with the modern media. They jump on with the Rothfields and all these guys, and will be like, "Oh yeah, he's got to have a think about it. What he's doing is not not good enough. He's throwing his career away." And, and, and what go, happens? Hang on, hang yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Only by time and circumstance are you not in that same boat. And he may well have, and it, it sounds as though he was vindicated by court and all of this, and he may well have been yeah. provoked, and then that's all fair enough. But even then, you get these people, you get these losers in the media who say, oh, well, he shouldn't have put himself in that situation. Mm. He shouldn't have been. He'd still uh, be he suspended should, now. He shouldn't He'd have still been. Be suspended Abs- absolutely, he would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even they if he didn't, be didn't get himself. found guilty. Yeah. Hundred um, percent, they would, and you'd still be saying you shouldn't have been there, and you can't fight back, and all this. So it's just interesting how quickly it changed because the Tim Smith stuff historically is only a decade and a little bit later, and we're at the point where you get run out of the game for grabbing Michael Clark on the arm and peacefully leaving rather than causing any further incident, as opposed to court charges that don't even get heard yeah. till the next season, um, yeah. just having no effect on you for, for an assault in the club, that an assault that was proven and stuff. And, you know, now that have gone and found the victim, he'd have done his piece in the paper that have showed the victim with a black eye on the front page well, and all similar, this stuff. It's just very interesting how quickly it changed. A similar, yeah, they would have gone and found the victim. If you think about the coverage mm. of the Benji Marshall incident in the Maccas car park, mm. similar kind mm. of thing where he was, yep. he, he claimed that he was provoked and, and he was, he was acquitted. Um, mm. But the amount of coverage that got um, over the time, in the time it took for that to go to court, um, no comparison to this. Uh, anyway, it's, it's just interesting. I, 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 yeah, they just mentioned is, that yeah. there's one line about it in the whole game. They say, oh, Lazarus, he's had his own court troubles through the week. I remember thinking, what? Mm. But I had to kind of dig around to find that. Yeah. Um, thank you very much, National Library. The, um, that, that's one thing. The other thing, uh, I think it's Rabs who says, Brisbane from 8-0 down will need the guts and tenacity that Julian O'Neill's girlfriend showed in Rome this week. Yeah, uh, did you find her? No, no, I, I can't don't know either. what that means. I, I had a good. Uh, I can't find. I presume she's some sort of athlete. Yeah, I um, assume so. Possibly a swimmer and, or something. 
I don't know. What are you calling Susie? Um, well, I had that <laughs> thought. Well, hang on. Now, people, the, my sources tell me, here we go. I think I might have, yeah. my sources tell me that the, between 1 September 1994 and 11 September 1994, the 1994 World Aquatics Championships were held in Rome. So she must have been a no. swimmer. Yeah, I yeah. don't know which. I couldn't swimmer. find who it was. I couldn't find uh, who it was. Yeah, no, I wanted to. Guy, sadly, um, I assumed Susie. I, I assume married name. Um, yeah. Or possibly just a happy coincidence. But uh, yeah, that that was good. It was good to hear Rabs. I know Rabs, of course, loved the swimming, and mm. uh, it was good to know that you know. Oh, he was there. Yeah, he go. He was engaged for a time to Australian swimming star Samantha Riley. Really? There you go. That's very good. Wonder when, wonder when they split, possibly around the time of the poo in the shoe incident. <laughs> I'm not sure, but anyway, there you go. Mm. Samantha Riley. Well, there we I, go. I didn't know that. Another, we've cracked another case. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Now, uh, the Bears up 8 0, everything going their way, but they haven't quite made enough of it. This is the classic narrative, isn't it? Like the, Because what happens next in the 19th minute? The, the, the Broncos are doing nothing with the ball, really. They're, kind mm. of, they're quite. They don't look like the juggernaut that's won the comp in 92 and 93. They're fairly spluttery, clunky, sort of making a lot of mistakes, all this kind of thing. And in the 19th minute, Langer, from about 30 out, throws up this innocuous bomb, which is like very deep in the end goal. Like it's catchable. There's nobody around him. And it's about eight metres too long to be an effective bomb. Matt Sears, the young uh, rookie, is under it. And he just turns, he just ties himself in knots and drops it. And Wendell Saylor sticks his hand on the ball and the Broncos, who haven't been looking overly good, are back to 8-4 after having none yeah. of the momentum and none of the territory and none of the, none of the attack. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's one of those, uh, as you said, classic situations. It should be 12-0. They probably should have scored again. They had chances too to go up sort of 16, but all of a sudden it's 8-4 eight, eight, with a kick to come and you go, here we go. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> it's on. Yeah, and you just there's this real feel at that point they haven't made enough of this, and now they've made a really kind of mm-hmm. comically bad error. They're going to pay for this. Yeah. The Broncos are coming, and then uh, a couple of minutes later, and then the Broncos have another. They have this really nice raid down the short mm-hmm. side where Langer kind of bobs and weaves. He ends up giving it to uh, possibly to I think to Renoff, uh, who gives it to Kevin uh, Kevin Walters. Walters with the line wide open drops the pass. That's a real warning shot. Bears are in trouble Kerrit. here. It was Kerrit, yeah. It wasn't Kerrit, yeah. Yep. But it's like they're, they're in trouble here. They're coming. Um, mm. and then, Beautiful footy. Yeah, yeah, it was great footy. Langer kind of really weaving, um, just yep. looking for space, finding space. And, and a minute later, the Bears find themselves back up there after a half break from David Hall. He's a, not a bad little player, David Hall. We've watched a few games with him, and he always kind of... He found a way to contribute. He, not a superstar by any means, but he, he found a way to contribute to this Bears side over quite a long period of time. Um, he makes a weaving run, gets them up there. Taylor goes to the line and throws a really nice square ball to Gary Larson, who's got the momentum. And Gary Larson goes over, and the Bears restore uh, they restore their advantage. Taylor kicks the goal, and it's 14-4. And it was last tackle again. Really good footy. Really good footy. Aggressive footy. There's Jason Taylor's masterpiece in a lot of ways this half. It's everything. Um, he's a bit maligned now because they did never win anything. So you sort of pin that on the halfback of the side a bit. Yeah. Um, but he was a really good player. And this is sort of, this was the, the game to say, well, he was a good player. Watch this. You know, this is against mm. the Premiers. They're on a run of, they might have finished fifth, but they're on a run of wins. They're a championship side. And, you know, have a look at what he's putting on because he had a big hand in all of this. Yeah, I... 
I was thinking about him watching this game, and he, I just wonder if I think if Jason Taylor was around now, I think he was a bit out of time in the game. Like I think if he existed now, he would be considered one of the best halves in the comp because, <clears throat> and I suppose to an extent he was in the nineties anyway. But the game, the things that people didn't like about him, the things that he didn't have, very few players have now. Like he was kind of lacking a bit of creativity and lacking a bit of pace and didn't have much of a running game. But he was playing at a time when there was Alan Langer and Ricky Stewart and soon to be Andrew Johns and all of these players who had all those things. Whereas now, you know, you can be like in the, in the kind of post Cooper Cronk world where, when we talked about this last week about steering halfbacks and halfbacks, you just have to get everyone in position and shovel the ball. He had that game. He had everything, every bit of that game. He's an extremely polished player. He had a really nice long kicking game, a good short kicking game. He hit guys on the chest when he passed. He didn't dig into the line and beat you with his pace, but he got it and he knew where his players were on the field. And he's a really width, nice long width passes and that sort of thing. So you're exactly right. He, he knew which guys on his team to get the ball to. He knew when to get it to them. He kicked perfectly um, except for goal in finals um, and that sort of thing. Like he, he was a great goal kicker, a great general play kicker. He knew which players to get the ball and when, and he used to hit guys on the chest with every pass, which is, yeah, look, it, all of that is exactly what they want now. Um, you know, in many ways, he was sort of like, he was, the more I've watched him and Ricky Stewart, he, he was a poor man's Ricky Stewart. He was Ricky Stewart without that bit of Ricky Stewart yeah. that makes, the, the thing that makes Ricky Stewart one of the best halves ever is a little bit, added on to Jason Taylor's game. Do you know what I mean? Like they had yeah. all the base elements and then Ricky Stewart is just great because he could do everything a little bit better and had one or two tricks that Jason Taylor didn't have, you know? That's, um, yeah, that's it. But, <laughs> yeah, but he was a really good player then and he would be an outstanding player now as well. It's just a shame. I've said this before and look, I know even you can be a bit guilty of this sometimes. We're so binary with whether you win a grand final or not and whether teams or players are good or whether they won or not sometimes. And like, it's just, there's so many reasons teams don't win or players don't win. And you sort of write halfbacks off who didn't win one, or you can't say a team was a great team if they didn't win a comp. You can't say a player was a great player if they didn't win a comp. And he was, he was an outstanding player and a lot of much worse players have won comps at halfback, you know? Yeah. And I just, yeah, well, you were, yeah. That's, that's true. That, that's true. And, and yeah, he, um, Watching this game, you can see both the good and bad in in him because he does a couple of things, particularly in the second half. He kind of he loses his head a little bit and throws a couple of like yep. really kind of awful balls to people in under pressure at the line and that sort of thing. And he makes a few bad decisions, um, but he uh, he was very he was a really good kicker. He had that beautiful that night that mm. Ricky Stewart nineties style mm. where which they don't do anymore of kind of that outside in that inside out torpedo kicking. Yep. Yep. And like really sending it, this lovely flight down the field. Um, he hits the grass quite a lot in this game. He really kicks the Broncos to death, mm. particularly in the first half. Uh, he had a lot of good about his game. Yeah, and it's um, yeah. you're right. I you're mean, right if he what you say, if he'd have won a premiership, you know, his his reputation would be would be totally different. But but it, my my point, I guess, is that if he was around mm. now, mm. he has the skills that he had are a lot more valuable. And, and hold up a lot better against today's halfbacks and are yep. a lot more valued by today's coaches. Yeah. Um, I think that what you said about the second half is a good point. He, he does lose his head a couple of times and he kicks for himself when it's just not on. And yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. Of chases, and yeah. Yeah, there's probably two things. I, I guess that is the knock, is that they lost a lot of big games when he was, you know, they lost at the 
business end of the year a few times. And if that's the weakness in your game, that weakness is going to tend to show up at 10 all, which yeah. is the score you get in. When you, if you want to win yeah. the comp, you're going to be 10 all in a prelim or 10 and all. He misses, in a, and he misses those goals today. And he yep. misses those goals against the Knights in 97 yep. and that kind of thing. Like he, yeah. Yep. Those are the knocks. And I guess, again, to sort of try and, uh, again, I, I like to try and contextualise stuff for people that might not have seen it or understand the vibe. The vibe that Jason Taylor was talked about then, people don't talk about him anymore, but in the years following his career, in the decade following it at the time, he ended up with a bit of a Mitchell Pearce vibe. Or I know Mitchell Pearce won a comp, but the Mitchell Pearce origin vibe was that Mitchell Pearce, by any measure, is a very good player. But people sort of had this, ah, Pearce, he couldn't do it at origin. So there's like, as good as he was, you couldn't say Mitchell Pearce was good without someone being like, a bloody beers and you just bottle it in state of origin. That's very much a Jason Taylor, not similar players, but that's the vibe for a long time. You'd talk to someone about Jason Taylor and they'd be like, oh, because he just used to bottle it. And I guess what I'm saying is that that, that's not, <laughs> he did a couple of times and that was a weakness, but it's just, it belies how good he was and the career he had and the, what he did for Norse to just make that the conversation. It's too dismissive. Yeah. And you I know? mean, they wouldn't have, yeah. you know, he, he puts on, he puts on two of the tries that they score. Yep. Uh, in to to get out to this lead, you know, and if they <laughs> sort of, and and he ends up getting it done in, in this particular game, but you know, he he yeah. got out to, they don't get to they don't get to fourteen four without his contribution to their side, yeah. uh, and they don't kind of keep turning the Broncos around in the second half and yeah. kind of vaguely, uh, they they don't stay in the game without his kicking in the second half, um, yeah. so you know that, that just bears mentioning. But I think if he was around today, he he would be the one of the one like Nathan Cleary is considered a gun half back now, uh, and has a fair, like has a reasonably similar game to Jason Taylor. I think um, a bit yeah, Cleary's got a bit more. Of, he's got a bit more of a running game, but that kind of get it to people who are like yeah. you don't have to be the best player in the field, kick well, pass well, get it to your strike players, all that stuff. The, the Cleary one's a good example because in a lot of ways Cleary has a very similar game, but in what you call he's been built for professionalism. So Cleary mm. is a monstrously muscular at a young age. Like for a halfback, he'd be three times the size of Jason Taylor yeah. uh, because that, that's what professionalism does. So he comes through, he makes all these tackles, unlike halfbacks in the 90s who tended to miss him. He makes all these tackles and he's a stronger runner. But a lot of that is a product of being from now because yeah, the from physicality. the age of 15, he's been built to play first grade against Jason Talmalovo-sized men. So he, they put him through the weights and all the stuff that you didn't do then. But apart from that running and the physicality, you're right. There is a fair bit of similarity in the passing it to better guys, the kicking and the regimented um, sort of polish is the word, the polish of yes. doing everything correctly like that. And, and linking linking your strike players in the team, that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yep. yeah. So it was interesting to watch him again, um, yes. having seen the absolute calamity of, of 97. Uh, then, so it's 14-4 when the... Bears start really kind of looking for half time, start turning the ball over in the last couple of minutes of the first half. There is a bit of sense that they've thrown a lot at the Broncos, but they might have yep. spent themselves, um, in, at least in the first half, that they really need half time. But they don't get it uh, because uh, they, there is an offload from Platt. They, the, the Broncos get down there after a few turnovers. There's an offload from Platt, 10 out. Kevin Walters runs towards the, the sideline, kind of holding the ball out uh, on an angle, draws three and turns it inside to Wendell Saylor, who runs it around the post and scores, and then flattens Mark Soden just for a bit of afters. Um, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good bit, try, that. A good bit good of footy try from that. Yeah. 
Yep, yep. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk. He sets one up in the second half. Um, and I won't jump to that try, but I will just say, Kevy, we've now watched the Super Bowl of 98 and this one. Um, you know, uh, Alan Langer is an all-time great, and I remember watching him very, very good. But in both games we've watched so far, it's Kevy that's really caught my eye, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he, yep, he's really agree with that. The, the spark to a few moments and you know two games isn't long enough to judge that Alan Langer was phenomenal but it's Kevy that keeps catching my eye if I didn't watch a game before you don't know who the players are I'd be kept, I'd have kept circling their 5-8 as the really dangerous half he really uh he's a, probably a bit underrated because you can't in the, they sort of when you talk about you know if you talk about Matthew Johns you talk about the Johns brothers and that's yeah. fair because like he yeah. doesn't really deserve his own conversation because the Johns brothers were a thing and Andrew was an immortal and a great without him but Matty was part of that package. Without that, he's, he was a good player, but he's not someone you need to talk about 20 years later. Um, yeah. Kevy, you talk about Kevy and Alpha a lot. Kevy, the difference between them and the Johns brothers is Kevy was probably good enough that he should really get his own conversation as how good was Kevin Walters, not how good were Kevy and Alpha. He doesn't need mm. to be bound into Alan Langer to be spoken about as, oh, as, also, as someone you talk about 20 years after it happened. Do you know what I mean? And also, very late in his career, he moved to halfback when Alan Langer retired and won the comp again, yep. which I think, yep. you know, it bears mentioning as well. Um, yeah, he, you're absolutely right about Kevin Walters. He, he, uh, he looks really, really bright and sparky in this game. And as you say, scores the, the last try in this game. Uh, and of course, also is, is now uh, best known to, to rugby league followers as the father of Billy which I think is, yeah. needs to be factored in as well. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> which is particularly, particularly topical today uh, as we record this episode, Saturday the 18th of July. Now... Uh, uh, can I have one point on the Walters, actually, just quickly, if yes. we're going to talk about that. Can I just make the point? We, um, so his twin brother's playing in this game. Mm. Uh, may I make to you the point that Kerrod's entitled to be fairly stiff because he's balding at a much heavier rate <laughs> than Kevin is? And I think if you're like... You know, uh, all, all men will go through this at some stage of their life. But you'd like to think if you've got an identical twin, you're feeling fairly stiffed when he's kept his hair, like, markedly noticeably better than you have. That is, that, that, that's, that's kind of being persecuted by your genes, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, isn't it? Like, what's doing? This guy's yeah. identical to me. Yeah, that is, I didn't notice that, but it's a good point. Yeah, have a uh, look, have a look. Kevy's full head and Kerrod's not at all. That's, not that's at all. really rough. Uh, He's also the third best player in his family, Kerry. Yes, that's also also fairly (laughs) stiff. Um, Yeah, but he is the only one to to have swore on the footy show, so that's something. Um, And the only Ram. Yeah, the only Ram. Yeah, never forget. Uh, Julian O'Neill misses this kick. Now, (laughs) Wendell Saylor brings the ball around quite a long way, Mm. and the Bronco, the, the commentators really like go after the Bears for not kind of like not chasing and not keeping him out wide. And so oh, it's going to be an easy kick now. And then O'Neill misses it. Uh, it is the start of a fairly serious, a, a, a series of fairly unfortunate events for Julian O'Neill in this game. But uh, he, this, this is one of the worst goal misses I've seen in the semi-final. It's particularly close. I was quite stunned. Dare Even I, knowing yeah. the score, I was quite stunned that he missed this. Dare I say that he kicked that like he had poo in his own shoe? Like he absolutely <laughs> just kicked it horrifically. You know, like, there is a, it is a shocking kick. It is a shocking kick in a semi-final from the premiers. Like you know, like they're yeah. coming for you, and yeah. you just dust that at half time. Yeah, it's a bit like you know, there is a there's a real sloshy shoe truther movement out there. There's this apparently there's this 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 there's a story. The real story of the sloshy shoe incident has never been told. And it's kind of circulating amongst rugby league people um, from some of the um, 
uh, from some of the players who were in, like some of the South players who were involved. Apparently, there is this there's this alternate history of the Schlossy incident that's never been told, and there is a suggestion that Julian O'Neill may have been hard done by, and that he might that really? that he's been unfairly pinned with this. He didn't do it. Well, there's a suggestion. I don't know the details. Well, you say Glenn Lazarus saw provocation. Provocation, possibly. (laughs) He did it. He did it, but he was provoked. (laughs) Possibly. But there there is is an alt... I've never heard it, but I know that it exists. There is an alternate version of the Schlossy Shoe incident. Well, we'll be doing that. We'll be doing um, one of our Bring Out Your Deads on that when we get enough yes. information to do it. Would, we I, won't, 25 minutes won't do it justice. I we might need a full, so. full episode. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get we at the bottom of that. Cemetery investigation. That's what we're going to do. We're, we're, we're problem-solving people. But, yes, I just thought I would mention that, that there is, you know, people talk about Julian and El Ha Ha Ha, Schlossy Shoe. There is, mm. a, there is an undercurrent of, of, uh, of injustice mm. in all of this, well, I'm told. I'm, I'm calling told. for it. I'm calling for it. I'm calling that a new type of. We'll, we'll start a third p- podcast, Coroner's yeah. Report, and uh, we'll be we'll start to do some investigations, some investigatory work. Yeah, if you're up for it. Yeah, we're going to dig into the shoe. Yeah, yeah, and various doing. other wrong incidents. We'll also get to the yeah. bottom of uh, who the thief was on the Kangaroo Tour, and that's yeah, sort of it's going to dig right and, into all of that. Yeah, and yeah. who really and who really lit Steve Irwin's pants on fire? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, was it Steve Irwin? No, Steve, was it Steve Irwin's pants that lit on fire, or did him and Toddy light someone? No, him and fire? him, him, him and Toddy did the runner. I know that from the car. <laughs> they did the runner from the cops after they got caught in the car, and they sacked Steve Irwin and not Toddy. Yeah, uh, which probably stands up to be fair. Think, but <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we're going to get to the bottom of all these incidents. Oh, but by the way, if you know anything. If you know anything about the Schlossy Shoe incident and you want to oh. share it with us, if you have information that could assist in our investigation, mm. do get in touch, Rugby League Cemetery on Facebook uh, or at Schlossy Shoe on Twitter. Um, get in touch and let us know what you know uh, and, uh, and your anonymity will be protected if you wish. Now, uh, it was <laughs> the Broncos, having had none of the running in the first half, go in at 14-8 uh, behind. It's a very entertaining game. Brisbane are making mistakes. They don't look polished. They look beatable, the Broncos. But mm. in a way that I suspect they probably didn't during 92 and 93. But they still don't look like they're going to be beaten. That, that You do no. get a bit of a mark. I, like They've scored three tries, but there's just that try on half time and the kind of dodgy one that they've given away. And just You just think, yeah, the Bears have really they've played their best footy and there's still only a try in front. Yeah, I've spoken to you about this in the 98 episode on the Super Bowl where I said, trying to describe the Broncos of this era, there was this Melbourne element to them where some weeks someone would be putting it on them and beating them and you get really up watching it going, yeah, they're going to get beat. They're going to be so satisfied. And then you get to the end with this deflating, oh, for God's sake, they somehow won again? And you go, they were shit today. They weren't even any good. How did they win that? They're not good enough. Like, How do they get out of this? And you go away steaming, but then they do it again and again and again. And there's every sense of that. that You're going to walk away with one of these games where somehow Brisbane have won by two or four points. And you're going, how did that even happen? Like the Bears were heaps better than them. That's bullshit. You start complaining about the referee or complaining about some call or something. Yeah, but they've won again. That's, that yeah. used to happen all the time. Melbourne yeah. were like that for a long time as well. It was just that you go away really steaming that they just somehow won. And you're right. That's the sense that they're going to get out of this again. You that's know, true. as they yeah, always that's, did. That's true. 
the very confusing message from Peter Louis at halftime blocker. They get in a blocker for the halftime report. Uh, apparently, Peter Louis said they're keen to see it go. He's keen to see the ball go through more sets of hands, uh, but he also wants it to keep it t- wants them to keep it tight and be careful with their offloads. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, I don't know. I heard that too, and I was very confused as to what he was asking them to do. <laughs> I'm not sure what we're supposed to do here, boys. Yeah. yeah. Brisbane, incidentally, in 1994, only won from behind at halftime once all year, uh, which is possibly gives you a sign that they were a little bit off the boil that season. Um, mm. Yeah, which, it's, which it seems from their, their record and then watching them in this game, it seems like they were. Uh, the, at by halftime, <clears throat> the other thing we have to mention is that by halftime, Mario has been to the blood bin twice. Mm-hmm. He's really held up, a, put up a lot of resistance on both occasions. Um, he's very displeased by, at having to go off. Um, I, I, I mean, the blood bin rule kind of um, had been in place for some time by this point, I think, and the reasons for it were fairly well known. But he really, despite the fact that it's not, it's, it's like the blood bin's not a question of discretion. If you're covered in blood, yes. you've got to go off. And Mario really fights the case both times to stay on. Mm. He is just... And he's not done. No, he's not done. We've, we've, he, he's got more because five minutes into the second half, uh, he goes again. He has his third blood bin, <laughs> which I've never seen before. I've never seen someone go to the blood bin three times. But <laughs> and at the third time, he's still absolutely fuming. <laughs> Just, yeah, ropeable. <laughs> Just he like, is this real injustice? <laughs> yeah, I, I love him. He... There's speculation of a fourth time and he get yeah. argues the case and manages to stay on. <laughs> it's, I, I love him. He, um, if there's something about it, he's so keen to play rugby league. Yeah. But have you noticed one thing about Mario? I've ne- we've watched him play twice now. He, he doesn't look like he's having much of a good time during any of this. He looks very, t- he looks very tired, exhausted, and upset at he's all moments. Like he doesn't look much fun, does it? Like he's Can just I sort say, of coming off. He, this, oh. this match is so endearing. Because just as not like ninety one in that ninety one game against Penrith, he's like he's criminally deranged and like flying in, yeah. throwing elbows and coat hangers north. This game, there's none of that, but he's just he makes a couple of runs late in the first, in the second half when they're really under it. Where you just think, God, that was a run like that was the yeah. you did not many players make that, and he wasn't. There's nothing about him that suggests that he, especially at this stage, he's thirty years old at this point. You don't necessarily expect him to be. Uh, you don't physically think, oh, this is, he's going to be the one that's going to make the big carry. He's going to make the big charge. But he just, he's, he's so devout and so intense and wants to win so much and wants to contribute so much. There are very few players like that, then or now, that, that wanted it as badly as he did. It's, it's palpable watching him play. It's awesome. It stands out and it's awesome. You do see it when very occasionally you get guys like that now and you just notice them. There's guys, um, he's a better player than this, but you get guys like a Sean Fensom or someone that just throws their body into everything yeah. and does everything. And he was, he was better than that. But, but that, that intensity and that desire, everyone notices it. You can't help but notice it. On a field of people who arguably are all trying hard, it's just so noticeable. And I love players like that. I think we all do. They're just everyone in rugby league loves players like that. Yeah, they don't I, come around I, very often. I, I found myself terribly endeared to him um, mm. because of his display in this game. The uh, is a sh- <laughs> we're about to get to the the last try of the game, but <clears throat> a couple of things. Uh, Lazarus's shot on Chris Caruana 
now I don't know if he was provoked. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was an assault, though. <laughs> but Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I, oh yeah. I'm going to tell you what made me a bit ill. He hammered yeah. him. <laughs> oh yeah, brutal. that was a shot. Oh yeah, that was beautiful, wasn't it? Yeah. He, uh, yeah, it was just menace like whack of that. Uh, on yeah. a on a on a, a, a smaller guy, um, there's have to be. You'd have to see your life run before your eyes if you see Glenn Lazarus coming at you at that pace, whether it be mm. on a football field or in a nightclub at the Rocks. If you've got if yeah. he's got it in him and he comes at you, um, yeah, yeah, he, um, but, it, yeah. It's it's good you mentioned him because I, I had a good note on him for that last try. Um, oh, I just sure. think that was a moment. That's just a real moment that if you watch this try, everyone will focus on this really nice football Walters does. But you want to know why people paid up for Glenn Lazarus, why club, why he won so many comps, why he played so well with Daly and Stewart and, yeah. and then Walters Land. There's a hit up for this try. Like they score off, this, off his play the ball. Yeah. And he just takes, there's nothing doing, and he takes this big carry. He carries four people on him. He lands on his stomach. The defence line is just scrambling to get back. He plays the ball quickly and they go bang to Kevin Walters, who runs a beautiful ball for his edge player in a bit of space, who goes sort of half goes through and goes back to Walters. And the Walters play looks beautiful, and it was. Yeah. But that's why you pay Glenn Lazarus, because you watch players and you, you need halves that have got ability like Kevin Walters. You can't win a comp without a great half. But the reason you pay for Glenn Lazarus, the reason, you know, they don't have a half at the Cowboys, so it doesn't work. But the reason they pay Jason Talmalolo is this. Someone has to... Yeah. He was the, the, the Talmalolo different player, but that guy of that era, the guy that would carry you and set you up to run the play. You know, you, you want to run your play. You want to run a, a backwards defence, a scrambling defence, not a, not one that's set, and you're wrestling in the play of the ball and you've got forever to get up and everyone's ready to go. No, nah, when he takes this carry, it's just if you want to show one carry and say, righto, you want to know why he was good, here's one. He's playing against the team yeah. that came second. There was nothing doing, and he's just carried them on his back, got down and played it quick, and they just could not defend the next play because they had a class playmaker. You need the playmaker, but that's why he was worth the money and that's who he was. Bash, bash, bash. Like he just bash, barge, bump, thump, throw. I get, yeah, it was a wonderful run. And, then, and, it's, just, and it's just quick. And, and it creates, the, quick. Yeah, creates yep, the space, creates the momentum. That's right. Uh, Everyone's gone backwards and yeah. you're not set, you're not ready. And that's, that's how you play footy. Like you get big men that can carry it, create, you know, to get the defence line at scrambling and not ready. And then you play off the back of it. And they... There has been very few in the history of the game that could create that circumstance like Glenn, with the consistency that Glenn Lazarus could. It was a great bit of play, and, and a great bit of play from from Kevin Walters as well. That you know, beautiful, they, beautiful. As you say, short ball to Ryan, and then he re- kind of wraps around and gets the offload and goes in to score untouched. It's all of that is a mark of why this Broncos side was so good, isn't it? Like they, like because they just have a couple of guys who nobody else has, like. You, to, to, and in the same team, like there, you, there would have been a few guys in the comp who could make that Lazarus run, and there would have been a few guys in the comp who could make that that play that Walters puts on. There weren't too many of them who played together. Um, no. And and the thing about this Broncos team in particular is that if it wasn't Kevin Walters, it might have been Alan Langer, or they might have fizzed it wide to Stephen Renoff or something like that. Just even though they're going fairly ordinary in '94 compared to where they were, there's so much threat, and that's why you. And, and even from a standing start, there's so much threat when there's nothing on. And, and yep. that's why you feel with 20 to go that the Bears are just going to get overwhelmed here. They'd already, the Broncos had already had a lot of possession in the second half and they'd, had a lot of, um, they'd spent a lot of time attacking the Bears' line. But at 14-all, O'Neill kicks the goal. 
have to go forward and all. There, there is just a sense the Bears, I think they're gone here. The Broncos are coming for them and there's just too much strike. There's too much threat. Yeah, yeah. And they're starting to play with some, some mo now. The Bears are tired. They've put a lot into that first half. They put a lot a lot into it and it's not quite got them far enough in front. All of a sudden, the champion's coming. You're hearing them coming up behind you. Uh, yeah, that's the sense you get of the game. Um, what you said about Lazarus is totally right. The way that they, not many could take that run and not many would follow up. Um, the easiest guide to that is that, that there was a kangaroo tour that, this, that year. And you look at the props they took, great players. But you look at, they take... Ian Roberts, they take Dean Pay, they take Dave Fairley, they take the Chief. Just as good as all those players were, it's just not trust swapping any of them for the, for Glenn Lazarus. Like no. the, in terms of consistency in the power, David Fairley, I want to talk about later, was a legend of a player and a bit underrated by history. He's in this game. He's still not as good as Glenn Lazarus. The Chief couldn't yeah. do what Lazo did. Roberts was, you know, Ian Roberts was mad and hammer people. But this way of being like you're a halfback or a five eight or an attacking player and you want a bit of space to move, you just go. Lazo could do that run he just took every time, every time, and it, it's, yeah. it's it's he's a remarkable player. Um, but yeah, to, 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 on your point, at Brisbane at this point, yeah, you're all over him. If you're betting on the game, yeah, you jump on the live betting they do today. You're just emptying your emptying your deposit straight out. Brisbane on the Broncos, yeah. Um, there were a couple of moments that the Bears that the, the sense that the Bears are losing their way as well. There's the Taylor thing that we talked about a few minutes before this try where he kind of grubbers for himself. He doesn't. From what I've seen of Jason Taylor, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy who, one, ever would have done that and two, ever should have done that because he doesn't have any speed. And if he'd have picked it up, he probably wouldn't have, like it. He just wasn't that type of player. So he was a player there. It wasn't even on. There, was, there no. wasn't even like, there was no space. There was a grubber to a no. person where you're like, what are you doing? The full, like, that's not going to, if you get that, you won't go anywhere. Like, yeah. yeah. So it was this real, it was this just... real sense they're just losing. And then there's a moment a few minutes after the try where Craig Wilson on <laughs> comes off the bench. He goes to chip and chase from his own 30. Yeah, at 14 all. Yeah. At 14 all with about yeah. <laughs> 15 to go and very nearly regathers it, but like drops it and then Brisbane have it on halfway. Uh, I, I hope I want... you're not criticising that because no, not I have my notes here. I'm calling a cord still flickering. Still in place. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Chip kicking from your own. I hope you're not criticising the idea Never. of 14 all chip kicks against I... the Broncos in your own half. It's like <laughs> you you're know not I... going to need to have a chat about values. You know, I, the, you know the, one thing that I, the one thing that I can't stand is maturity. Uh, there's nothing worse. Then the uh, there's a couple of bits of Sterlow magic I just want to bring to your attention or, or remind you of. Um, 15 minutes into the second half with the Bears 14-8 in front, Sterlow starts calling for them to take the field goal uh, to get seven in front. Uh, but with 15 minutes to go with scores level, he starts saying Brisbane shouldn't take the field goal. They've got them. They should go for the try. Yep, I had a note on this too. I love that. He has a concept that like it would be good for one team to be in front by one, but the other shouldn't try and get in front by one at a later yeah. stage. That's Close wonderful. That's really, yeah. yeah, vibing who should take the field goal and when. <laughs> Surely it's, eyeing it into like a really good theory. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 I love that. I think there should be more of that just as... Um, it's a real, it's a field decision, <laughs> not a, not a yeah. sort of you're up. You know, it's a tired game with ten minutes left decision. It's, you, you got to vibe this. Do you want the point or don't you? Yeah. Somehow the point has a different value to both teams. So yeah, it was extraordinary. Uh, the, the moment of the match, though, just after the Wolves' try, Mario comes back on after his third blood bin, and Gus speculates that uh, <laughs> this is why Gus is one of the great coaches of all time. He speculates that Peter Louis will be kind of secretly pleased. Mario will be very fresh because he's been in the blood bin so many times. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> See, it's the sort of thing that can only happen in rugby league. The suggestion that somebody getting cut repeatedly on the face is an advantage. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's given the upper it? hand. Like kind of, yeah. um, it's worth noting as well that Brisbane are playing with, with 15. They didn't quite have so many changes. Madison had gone off injured fairly early. Cairn had gone off very early. Uh, so they were a bit thin going into this, but they still come very hard. Had to bring Glenn Lazarus on and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, the, must the, be hard. yeah. Depth, depth problem. Yeah, depth problem. Right. Uh, to, just after the try, Langer puts a little grubber in behind the sneaky, classic mm. sneaky Alan Langer grubber, uh, and it's rescued of all people by David Fairley. Mm. Yeah, that's um, a really nice bit of football from both men, isn't it? It says a bit about both players as like. Yeah. As, what they were like. They're off the cuff, Langer. Just to, get, to sort of explain that, if people haven't seen it, he gets the ball to sort of near the right-hand post, attacking, and is looking out. And he hook kicks for himself back towards the left post. So it's just this sneaky yeah. angle thing where he's like, yeah. look, everything's going over there, and he's just misdirection and sort of kicking back to the other post, chasing himself. And the fullback, of course, is running out where he's looking towards the sort of far side and going, oh, we're going that way, is sliding across. And suddenly, bang, he's just got you, got you off balance and it's going back towards the post. And Dave Fairley, you know, he's a you know, middle forward, is just charging back and diving at the post to sort of desperately save a try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that says a lot about, like, that's a lot of what Alan Langer was. He was crafty and tricky and, and magical in that sort of, um, sort of way. And he'd just catch you off guard, wouldn't he, Alfie? Like, some of the stuff he did, he, he could never pass the ball like... Um, Joey or Ricky Stewart, he couldn't kick as far as them. He wasn't as fast as them in a lot of ways. Off yeah. the mark, he's very he fast, but teams, over distance. Yeah. But he, what he was, he was like a, he, he was the master of just angles and stuff. Like he got, you just get you with. Um, it was a quick tap. Over. He'd quick tap when you weren't expecting. He'd kick back where you weren't looking. He'd do stuff you weren't expecting to see in a way that you go, oh, he sort of tricked us there, or, or yeah. yeah, that's tricky. Not like, oh, that was wonderful or what amazing football you see he's bloody crafty and tricky but he was so good at that that he was yeah. one of the best halves ever um and dave fairly on the other side is that's just such a bears play like being back in that situation all in your body in the in the 65th or whatever minute of a game mm. you know of a game against glenn lazarus and these sorts of guys yeah. and just he to, just to gets himself back, there when the fullback is himself there. in that position yeah. I, but, I had a few notes on on here i'll let you go first on on fairly yeah, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Oh, go for it. Okay. I, I just had some notes on him I didn't get to before. I, I just wanted to say, I think he's one of these forwards uh, who's become really underrated. Really, like, mm. no one talks about David Fairley. You go up to someone on the street, people talk, for example... Which is something you, career, do, you actually do quite a lot in the right sense, sort of go up to people on the street and talk to them about 90s football. Like, that's it's yeah, not entirely yeah. hypothetical for you. No, it's not. Uh, I don't get a lot of buy-in and I sort of don't have a lot of friends, but, you know, what do you do? Um, he, he, for example, just a really good example of this is he has a much better career and was a much better player than Mark Carroll and nobody now would know that because Mark Carroll mm. is talked about all the time. Like, people talk about him and, and so people might even go, oh, no, nah, Mark Carroll was great. Like, Mark Carroll wasn't better than David Fairley. Mark Carroll played Origin only when the Super League players were out. He went on a kangaroo tour at 1990, didn't make another one, and only played Origin when they were out. He was a great player, don't get me wrong, but I just mean players stay in the eye because Mark Carroll fought um, Chief all the time and is in the media a bit now. And those guys that were very good still get remembered. And a guy like Fairley, who was every bit as good and arguably better, him and Dean Pay's another one, don't get talked about because they weren't... Fairley and Pay didn't do stuff that made huge highlight reels like Deck and the Chief. Um, Fairly 
I, I'd like to take you through it. He played 246 games, right? Um, 196 of those were for the Bears, and the only reason he didn't play more was because they, they kicked the Bears out, mm. um, which is so sad. To fin- I know it doesn't matter, but to finish on short of 200 for the Bears is just really awful, like just because they didn't exist mm. is a, you know... Um, he finished off his career at Newcastle. He played was, 15... Te- was fantastic at Newcastle too. He had a Very really good, good really yeah, good. at an age, yeah. Mm. Um, he played 15 tests, 15 tests in the 90s That's in the front game. row. He was picked for Australia in the 94 Kangaroo Tour. He started on some of those games over the Chief and Ian Roberts and yep. Dean Pate yep. uh, in some of those games. So he was picked. The Chief was left out of tests for, for David Fairley, um, not with any controversy about that. Um, he was picked over Ian Roberts, he's picked over Dean Pay. He played 10 State of Origin games in that period. And he won the Rothmans in 94. So the Rothmans was the player, the predominant player of the year award at that time. The Dallium existed, but the, the Rothmans was the um, predominant award. Were you aware um, that the Rothmans was voted by the referees? Yeah, I was, yeah. yeah. Um, I found that out today because I had to look up why it was different to the Dallium because the they highest, both existed. The highest honour um, of all, the, the, getting the, the acceptance and support of the referees. Well, let me say, I, I think there's a, an argument. It's like I thought, oh, the referees is a bit of an odd one. But then I went, you know what? I've watched the Dally M been voted on for 20 years and watched Brett Finch give well, can't be any, three points it can't be any every worse. game. It can't be yeah. any worse. Well, well watching Brett Smith, uh, Brett Finch just gives three points to Cameron Smith any time he plays. And Ruan Sims once didn't watch the game and gave a point to Apisai Coruscant, who played 40 minutes in a 24-point loss yeah. to Manly. And they had to kick her off the judge. So the argument the referees were at least watching the game. Yeah. But anyway, because they don't have the Rothman since 94, I can't compare it. But it was the predominant award. That was considered to be the predominant player of the year award. Um, and he won that. And... Because it went out, because, you know, Rothman's is a cigarette company, yeah. uh, I can only compare to the Daly M since then. That's the only Player of the Year award they've had. But what I wanted to highlight to you was that since 1994, the, the Player of the Year award, for which there is now one, has only been won by one for middle forward. So one mm. forward that's not a hooker ever since, and it was Jason Taumalolo. So yeah. to give you an idea of how difficult it is for a forward to be considered the best player of that year and have had the best season of anyone that year, Jason Taumalolo is the only player outside of a hooker that plays in the forwards to have done that. It just doesn't happen. And that's a guide of how well he went that year. It's a guide, what I've said is a guide of how he got picked over some outstanding front row forwards and middle forwards on those tours. And he played a lot of tests, 15 tests is a lot, played a lot of origins. And he's better than a lot of guys that still get talked about. And he, he was a great, that's all. No, I'm, I'm on board with this. And uh, I remember him very fondly. He's one of those guys who, um, I think if you talk to Newcastle supporters about David Fairley, I think people who watch a lot of, who sort of, you sort of, your hardcore of Newcastle supporters have a real respect for David Fairley as well, because he only came, only came here for one year, but was very good. Um, at the end career. too, you know. Yeah, yeah, at the end, in a really good side. Still did a job. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you're right. That's, that's, that's a fair shout. He makes a huge carry uh, in the set after the field goal, which we'll get to in a minute, but the last 10 minutes of this game really go a bit wild, don't they? There's an incident yeah, yeah. with 10 to go. Langer goes down the short side on last tackle, runs into one of his own teammates, gets sacked and kind of grubbers the ball horribly, a bit like dribbling kind of 10 metres ahead of him. Billy Moore picks it up, and just throws it straight to a Broncos player. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, it, it, yeah. 
it's wild and woolly. This is it's a funny game because there's this first half of champagne football. There's this second half of um, they're going to bottle this and the Broncos are coming. Then there's just ten minutes of just absolutely. It happens a lot in close games. Just frenetic stuff. Yeah, it's got it a, it's, it's got frantic, real Tigers yeah. roosters about it and this frenetic yeah. sort of like this is a, what the hell's going on? Or Parramatta and the Dogs in '98. Like it's just wow. All of a sudden. Everything that was happening is just breaking down because everyone's melting under the pressure a bit on both sides. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, everyone's that's chaotic. Yeah. yeah, and that that play again, it's not something you associate with the Broncos side, you know, because like, they not only like they really botch it. Langer gets into like, yeah. there's people in the way, and it's a really kind of botched kick on last tackle, but they get away with it. And like this Bears, we, we've watched a few Bears games. Like you just think at this point, they've had a bit of luck. The Broncos have made a really bad mistake. Having like it's it's hard to overstate how little territory the Bears have had in the second half. Like Norths yeah. have been stuck in their own half. Taylor is kicking well, but from his own thirty, they're just not like they can't get no scoring opportunities. They've never no looked like scoring. They haven't they haven't been down there. And then all of a sudden, Alfie makes this mistake, and they give them the ball back immediately. You know, yeah. But they're good enough that when Steve Renoff gets the ball with a huge wind up ten meters out, they smash him and the ball comes out. So the so North survive, uh, and then there is a fantastic kick from Jason Taylor from forty out from his own line, which lands on the goal line, or which pulls up on the goal line, <clears throat> and off the resulting set, Julian O'Neill uh, on last tackle on halfway, with Alfie having been tackled on the previous play, shanks the ball into the crowd, and yeah, like by a long way. Jack whitens it absolutely misses yeah. the field by by meters. Yeah, it's a real it's a real sequence there, isn't it? Because the the pass back to the the Broncos and Taylor's kick is is world class uh, to get them out of trouble. And then they're coming anyway, and then this wild kick out on the full that you just really don't associate with them at all. Do you? Like this, it's no. almost like and, and North deserves so much credit because they they were stuck down their own end. Taylor kept kicking them as much out of trouble as he could. And they kept repelling him. They stopped Renoff a couple of times. Yeah. Um, Ivan Cleary had a good game. In he, defense, I don't yeah. remember much of him, but he sort of, I can, it's funny. He reminds me a bit of, of Nathan in a way where Nathan's a very pro halfback that doesn't have a couple of the wows or skills the other guys have. But it was like Ivan out in the centers was like, all right, he's not that fast or that big, but he's just like in the right spot, making the right tackle. It seemed to be in the, like doing the pro, very professional, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah, he, kept, he, did a, he did a job on the pearl. He, he's, he's got a few times, he just got up on him when they wanted to spread and stop the opportunity. Um, but yeah, they, they sort of, um, all of a sudden, it's like Brisbane have had all these chances. The Bears have scrambled, frenetically stopped them, scramble, scramble, can't even catch their breath. And all of a sudden, Brisbane blink. So they're yeah. the ones that blink, not the yeah. Bears. And, and, and it's well and good to say the Broncos make a couple of mistakes and Julian and Il kicks it out on the fall and all this. But the only reason that matters is because the Bears have survived this long. Yeah. Like yeah. Norths, Norths have kept themselves in the game to a point where they can benefit from this. Uh, and benefit yeah. they do because they go down there. There's a couple of really good carries from their forwards. One of them is uh, Mario, the last mm. run before the field goal. Just, he just beats a couple. It's not a rambunctious charge, but he just goes past it. He finds his way past a couple of defenders to poke his head through the line and get to the... He's very rugged. He's rugged. It's hard to describe because he's running with all of his intensity, but he's not fast. And he's not like, he's not, you know, like it's not a Martin Lang sort of like suicide charge. It's not a, a, a mad charge. He's just robust and strong when, when, he, yeah. when he's running. He's giving it all his all. 
but it's not fast. Um, and it's like, it, they're a little bit like Petro's seven receivers runs in a way. Like Petro was never fast, but when he rumbles it up, um, he just, it was hard to stop anyway. Like it was just robust. Do you know what I mean? Like Yeah, just, he just jostles and wrestles and yeah, bashes and through and it. Yeah. 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 Without ever being fast. There's no pace to it or you wouldn't say he was overly powerful in his running style, but he just had that ability to make the charge work, you know, and yeah. it's a very important run. Yeah, you're right. It's a great run. Yeah. And it's, it speaks to what kind of player he was. Uh, yep. The field goal itself, you know, the Bears, they, they kind of botch up the field goal a little bit. Taylor is, I thought, a bit Completely. too... Yeah, like he's a bit too flat on the left-hand side and he's on the left In the wrong side. spot. He's mm, in the wrong yeah. spot. And he, but somehow he gets it and he does really well because he gets it. He's under a huge amount of pressure and runs around back behind the ruck onto the other side and pots it and puts it over. Beautiful it's a goal. really good kick it's a, and a really good it's, – it's a really nice field goal. It's so professional. Like he gets it in the wrong position, stops, props, gets to the other side of the ruck on the run from thirty out and slots it. Um, that and is doesn't such... look doesn't look harried. You know, doesn't look no. under pressure. That's his polish. That's the things he was good at, as we said. Um, you know, that, that's uh, it's, it's a real bugbear of mine is that people are so bad at this in rugby league. Like, <laughs> ultimately, if you go into a preseason, you you know, I know there's some teams like the that are always going to finish at the bottom and they sort of know that. But most of the teams go into a year thinking they can make the finals, you know, yep. and are entitled to think that. And there's a lot of characters. Teams come 14th, make the finals the next year and stuff. So you go into the preseason, 14 of the 16 current teams probably reckon they're good enough to be in the finals. And you know when you get in the finals that as a guide, at some point, you're not going to progress without having a close game. No. So many of them can't kick field goals and they no. don't and practice can't set them field up. goals. They, no. can't, they don't know how to set them up. Like they don't get in the right position to give people good shots and they hit them terribly. And it's so noticeable because Cooper Cronk, both for Queensland and Melbourne, so many times the only reason they won is that he is three times better at it than most players. Penrith have got out of, in Nathan Cleary's short career, have got out of some absolute stinking games they shouldn't have won because he's pulled it out of his backside because he can just hit them and he hits them beautifully. And so many guys, you're playing potluck. Like they get there and if they have 10 shots, they're missing seven, hitting three. And you're like, geez, I hope this is the one he's going to hit. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just, it's just, it's such an, you know, going in that you're going to play in a game, sure, during the year as well. But if you plan to be on the finals, the odds are that you're going to have a team close to your score late in the game because you don't beat the other final teams by 20 points. And why are they so bad at it? Like, this is such a piece know. of skill. The they don't seem to practice. No, and the setup is the thing, isn't it? It's not just where yeah. you are as the kicker and how well you can no. kick them. You've got to be in the right position and you've got to have your, yeah. you've got to have your forwards in the right position. You've got to have the right type of run just before. And there's no reason you, you can't have your do dummy that, half in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, so many teams. The, the Cowboys had a great one where Tal Malolo kept setting them up for Thurston and stuff perfectly. Even that, it's not just the structure set up. It's knowing who, who has to run the last run. Um, yeah. They do that so badly. We, I've watched the Broncos do them and like Tavita Pangai Jr. takes the first run, like hit up. And by the fourth tackle, Alex Glenn or someone takes the last one before they try and take a shot. And you're like, yeah. look at your side. You, that last run has to be Tavita Pangai Jr., Payne Haas or at the Knights, David Clemmer. Like, mm. you, you've got to set it up so your last run is the Mario in this scenario, like you've got to give yourself room by making sure the last run is your big forward on the right side of the rack at the right time. And for a game that's so obsessed with structure now, the fact that they all want to stay in their corridor, they all want to do this and that. Why are they so abysmal at the know. structure of but setting these up? Yeah. You know, but Taylor, Taylor, sorry about that. No, 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 by all means, you're right. <laughs> um, 
Taylor's setup, the North setup, isn't overly good, but Taylor is quite cool um, under pressure and gets around the other side and puts it over. It's kind of, it's the kind of thing you wouldn't it, like, as you say about the kind of popular narrative of Jason Taylor and all the Bears. In fact, it's not the moment that you expect him to have that kind of ice nerve, uh, but he does, yeah. and he puts it over, yeah. and then they get the kickoff and they go bang bang. There's a great run by David Fairley. There's a great run by Mario. Taylor puts a bomb up from about halfway. And Julian Julian O'Neill drops it, and uh, and at this point you think this is again this is our day. It's, it is going to happen. Uh, There's a really good energy at this moment. I just want I'll stop you to mention is that I started getting a bit of a chill because I started to pan to some of the crowd. Yeah. And there's even through watching it on YouTube now, you could sense the energy coming through. The screen, like there was all of a sudden this manic sort of like we've all experienced it when your team's going to pull one out um, in a big and important game, and it really lifted me because it was them, and I've watched them not have these days, and they don't exist anymore. I started to really get chills about it. Like there was this energy going around the full stadium of like like this really like just intensity of yes, 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 that jubilance that you can only get at a sporting game when your team has done something on on an important sort of stage. Yeah, and thirty six thousand at the ground. You would have to think that most of uh, most of them were uh, were bear supporters and were there to you know were, had had made the trip over the bridge, uh, <clears throat> having had uh, a tough uh, having had a tough day at the, the football stadium in ninety one or a couple of tough days at the football stadium in ninety one. They were there again and they and they were having a good day, uh, but that's not the end of the story, Gazzy. Because no, <laughs> <laughs> because the last couple of minutes are deranged. <clears throat> Uh, Adrian Toole drops the ball when they could have sealed the game. And then the Broncos have got two minutes or three minutes to try and pull this out. And they get more chances to do it than I could ever have expected. Uh, They get themselves, there's a penalty on about the 40. Uh, They're bringing it out from their own line. There's a penalty on the 40. Uh, They decide to tap rather than kick it into the corner, which I thought was interesting. Uh, from but halfway, they, yeah. Oh. Yeah, from halfway-ish. Like, you'd think you'd bang it out on the, even on the 40 or the 30 or something. But it doesn't matter. They get to 20 out in front. And we want to talk about field goal setups. My God. Langer gets it. And there's all this traffic around him. So they have to go to... Uh, His own players are in front of him. Yeah, like, it's like just, just the traffic shot. everywhere. Like, yeah, the, yeah he, 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 his own players are three and four metres in front of him blocking his attempt to take a 20-metre field goal in front of the post. It's bizarre. Yeah, so they go flat and wide to Walters, who snaps it, and it's kickable, but it's out wide, and he misses. And that's in the 79th minute, and you go, oh, that's it. That was their one shot. They've botched that, the Broncos. They won't. The Bears can't lose from here, but they can oh. lose from here. <laughs> if you think that, you haven't watched a North Sydney game because they are never, even when they win, it's not linear. They go, they, two tackles later, keep in mind there's a, there's a minute to go in a knockout semi-final against the, the back-to-back premiers. And they turn the ball over. Galea strikes from marker, kicks the ball out and falls on it. And there are 60 seconds left. This, um, th- this is my fault that this happened to them. Having last week said that we've never watched a game where this actually happened. Where someone um, strikes and we've at marker, watched all these yeah. games and nobody's ever got the ball from striking at marker. So people start to stop using that as an excuse, like to kick the ball downfield. Yeah. But uh, we now have seen it happen. Um, it... 
can I ask if you could do this? Why don't they do it more? Like no one's attempted to do this all the game. It, it, you and I talk about this a lot. It's sort of funny. It's like when we talk about why don't they play like that all the time by spreading the ball um, late in the game. Go, why don't they throw it around all the time? Well, if you're going to rake for the ball to get possession of it in the final minute, why not yeah, rake why for it in the first anyway? minute or the twentieth? But yeah. but well, yeah, it, it's stunning, hey, because they just all of a sudden out of nowhere something that's not happened in the whole game and maybe the whole season for all I know has just happened. And you go no. No, that's it. If you were watching this live, you, there would have been people having heart palpitations at this point because they have had a shot at field goal botched and they still, um, despite that, uh, Brisbane end up getting another chance with a minute left. But I can't believe how, after that big moment, I can't believe how flaccid the end is because they give it to, well, they give it to Langer, 20 out in front again, but he's completely flat to the line. Looks like he's going to pass. Like and it's third a, like, tackle. Like it's third tackle. It looks like he's setting up for an attack. And just for some reason, just props and attempts a field goal, which runs along the ground. Why does it's he the do the worst that? field goal I've ever seen? I think in context, the context of the occasion, the match situation, and the position on the field, I think it's the worst field goal attempt I've ever seen. Yeah, well, he's one of the great players of all time. He gets a 20 out in front of the post, tackle three with 40 seconds left, snaps flat at the line a really weird field goal with no momentum and no setup that doesn't get more than three metres off the ground and just dribbles into the end goal and that's the end of the game. It's stunningly bad. Um, I can only think that he thought they'd be expecting it on five and he just got it and went, you know what, I'm gonna, I've got a bit of time, I'm going to have a shot at him early and just brain fade mm. it. Mm. It's the sort of thing, even though they've won two comps in a row... Even though he'd won two comps in a row, if that happened now, it'd be a really big headline in the paper. It, it's just, um, I, oh, yeah. know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have been hunting because they'd won two comps, but there'd be really talk of brain explosion, Langer blows it and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. Because it was, it was really bad, like really quite ridiculous. And they had time and they would have had a much better chance to kick that. Can I say, um, yeah, that's right. There is a, I just want to mention a run that Mark Hone makes. Uh, just before the first field goal miss, you kind of people, I guess, only get credit for great, for great tries and great runs and this kind of thing when they lead to something. But yeah. this run, there is a run that Mark Cohen takes in the in the, the set after the penalty that is as good a setup, as good a field goal setting up run as any ever. Uh, and it will never be remembered and won't be cre- and probably didn't get a lot of credit at the time because they botched the setup but they didn't yeah. kick the goal, but it's just a rambunctious yeah. charge to get them into position. It yeah. takes them from, oh, yeah, they might get a shot here to, oh, they're going to get a shot here. Mm. Um, yeah, and the fact that they don't, that doesn't result in a field goal doesn't change how good the run was. Um, yeah, he's done his job. Yeah, but they, they really botch it up badly twice in a row, uh, and, mm. and the Bears win, having done, you know, if, if you'd have said with two minutes to go when Brisbane were coming off their own line, they're going to get mm. two shots at field goal here. Yeah. They're going to spend almost all of the last two minutes of this game in possession in the north half of the field. You would yeah. have thought we're going to extra time at best. Oh, yeah. You fat. Uh, yeah. You'd always yeah. expect them just to score. It's, um, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, 14 all, 15 to go, you're all over them. 10 to go, you know, you're all over them. You're probably over them. From, you're on them with one behind with a few to go, if you know they're going to get two shots, like you said, yeah. two shots in the last three minutes, you're still this is on just, them, honestly. This is just the one that, that, you know, of all the kind of, there, there are a few uh, tragic, very unfortunate Bears results. 
where they come very close, but circumstances just really do them in one way or another, or their mistakes are really punished or whatever it is. This is the one that doesn't get where this is the one that doesn't go to plan. This is the one time they escape, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. This is the, this is the sort of circumstances just help them a little. They just, they get, instead push. of being, instead of getting the worst luck and getting punished by luck, they just, they just get a hand up uh, and they win. And Mario, who has gone off again, I'm not sure whether it was for blood bin or he was just replaced. <laughs> so, so there's some, there's some ambiguity about whether he could, did in fact get the fourth blood bin, but he just goes charging onto the field with these wild flailing arms. Um, it's wonderful sort of the happiest man ever to live. And it is, it is just wonderful. And the Bears supporters are absolutely just ecstatic and thrilled and flags and the bear mascots jumping around like a lunatic and all of this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's only the minor semi it's only week two of the semis, but this was a big moment for them. And the point that I wanted to make about this game is that at that point, at full time in this game, having just knocked off the team that people had thought might never be knocked off, like, the team that had been so dominant for a couple of years and, and it seemed had these kind of insurmountable advantages over the rest of the comp. But Bears supporters and the Bears and the club and the North's players were expected to think that this was the start of something, you know, like this was a, this was a kind of, it, it kind of harkened a really good era for them. If you look at their side, um, it was quite a young team. You've got Jason Taylor was 23, Billy Moore was 23, mm. Sears was 20, Cleary was 23, even Soden was 25, uh, David Fairley, 24, Sean Hoppy, 15 tries in the season at 23. Uh, the kind of, there are a couple of older players, but they've got plenty left, like Larson's 27, Flo's 27. Like, they kind of, they would have been expected to think that they were, this was the start of a real run for them. But I guess in a way, I guess in a way it was, because they then, they finish eighth the next year, then they made the prelim in 96 and the prelim in 97 and then finished fifth in 98. Like they, they didn't make the finals. This is the start of five runs to the semis in a row. But at the end of those runs to the semis, they don't have a premiership and then they disappear from the competition. Mm. And, 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 and people now think about that. They think about the, the Bears as having a kind of tragic inevitability that they were always going to be one of the losers from Super League and they were always going to be one of the losers from the reduction in the number of teams. But at full-time in this game, there was not really any reason to think that that would happen. There was, no re- there, was, there was no inevitability about it at the time because they had a lot of really good young players in all the important positions. And, you know, they, were, they looked like they were on their way. They have a lot of good good young players. They've just beaten a very good side. They have a good run in the finals. They they certainly stick their gloves up at Canberra the week before. They end up being beaten, but they really fight hard in that game. Um, in 1995, they, I'm fairly confident they have the biggest home crowds of any Sydney club. Mm. Um, I, I don't have the number, but I'm pretty confident that I checked that before. So, yeah, the idea that it was inevitable or they were going to have to be out of the competition or had no future is total total rubbish. Um, circumstances came in that we all know that sort of put you in a, in a potluck and decisions could be made that sort of set up the future. But they, they weren't a club that had no future. They, they were as... All Sydney clubs had problems. They weren't wor- The problems at North weren't worse than the problems at most of the other Sydney clubs. They had a good young team and were as well supported as anyone else going around there. And it, it is one of the great... The tragedy isn't that it's inevitable or the decline. The tragedy is that this side didn't 
get a fit side and shut club didn't get a fair shake to make an error out of this in my opinion um yeah they had chances that they themselves didn't take obviously you know this year in 96 a years that they could have done that i don't know that that's anyone's fault but theirs but you know what you need then if you go and look through a lot of great clubs outside of the power clubs you know there's there's your raiders that won everything and your broncos that won everything but a lot of sides that win a comp you know, they win one or two, they make the finals five or six times in eight years and they go through and win it once, you know? Like, mm. that's most clubs' destiny. That's, you know, Newcastle, once the NRL started, were in the finals for eight or nine years, but they only won it once. And, and that's true of a lot of clubs. A lot of great teams do that. The claims that aren't the power all-time teams do that. And the Bears only got their couple of shots at it. There's no reason they shouldn't have got to shoot for this in 90. 2000, 2001 with these players while adding pieces to them. You know, Jason Taylor and Michael Butner, who they get soon after this, lead Parramatta to the greatest season ever and go to a grand final in 2001. These players had the capacity to do this and it was denied to them by circumstances largely beyond their control. Well, and, and you've got to remember, I mean, at this point, Super League is, is barely a glimmer in, uh, in John Rebo's eye and it's mm. not until... Uh, you know, and there were rumblings of some talk of all this kind of stuff, but it's not until that this this is the last <clears throat> ninety four is the last pre Super League season. It's the last normal season, I guess you would say, because by April Fool's Day the next year, all hell breaks loose, and you've got this this kind of carnage of all these players signing for Super League and loyalty agreements, and you know, yeah. there's by ninety six you don't even know if the comp's going to be on, and then there's split comps in ninety seven and all this, and once you come back from ninety seven, then it's the big like thinning of all the teams. Um, this is this is the last normal season. They did really well in it. They finished second on the table mm. by a point, knocked off the premiers and got to the preliminary final, and unfortunately went into an all-time great side. But mm. there was just <clears throat> they, this was kind of this should have been the start of the Bears' return because they hadn't won the comp since 1953. Um, but but this should have been oh sorry hadn't been in the grand final since 1953 hadn't won it since 22. But yeah, this this kind of I don't know. This doesn't it doesn't feel on this day like in five years they're not going to exist. No, you look at that crowd and and the ecstasy they're feeling at full time and and during the last few minutes it is very sad in that way. Um, you know, look, I, I think one thing we should we should talk about <laughs> is just I guess that there is a reality out there that this could have been different. Yeah, um, and and that reality is is that uh, like all Sydney teams they weren't high on the priority list for Super League to start off. But Super League didn't get the clubs they wanted. They didn't have the numbers they wanted. And very soon in the piece, they were happy to get anyone in terms of clubs. And Norths were approached. And and, and the North, there was some, you know, as happened at a lot of clubs, there was some disunity between the board and the players and what was known and a lot was kept from the players and all this. But eventually there came a time where the players did sit down and get a, a say in this. They sat mm. down as a group and came up with this. And there's some some good articles actually where Flo and a few guys talk about this. And they basically made the decision to stay with the ARL. And look, I put it to you that if they hadn't have done that, if they had gone, that they would still be here and that they would have had every chance of winning a competition because they would have kept all their players for starters. And we can, you want to see whether they were any good, go have a look at 94 and 96. They had a roster that was good enough to be yeah. at the pointy end of the roster. Yeah. And I think that if they had have gone, what you got was a big stack of cash. That, that's the reality. You got yeah, a lot yeah, of money absolutely. and a lot of resources. I, I heard Blocker talk very recently to say that the Balmain members 
were asked to go to Super League and they will put it to them. Super League offered $50 million, is what he yeah. said, to the Tigers. Yeah. Um, you know, a good story is they got six members out of 500 to vote yes for that. Because it's a little <laughs> sign of rugby. And one of them wasn't, wasn't Blocker. He didn't vote yeah. yes, but yeah, he yeah. just said so. But that's, that's very endearing rugby league people. 50 million, you know, doesn't sway you. But um, the... However misguided the principle may be, but yeah, yeah. Um, like their club also doesn't now exist. But um, yeah, look with North. So let's just, just read between the lines and say that the offer was was tens of millions of dollars to go. Um, they had a nice oval. They had as good a crowd as any other club in Sydney did. Yeah. None of the crowds were good, but they had as good as anyone else did. And they would have been in a position to set themselves up financially. They would have kept these players. Most Super League existing clubs were able to add some players and they would have put themselves in the position to actually continue with what they had at the very least or build on it. And the thing with that is this inevitability argument is nonsense. Oh, you can't have that many teams in Sydney. The Bears had to go. All of the arguments you can raise that North Sydney weren't going to survive apply to St George. They apply yep. to Cronulla. Yep. Um, they're the main two. They probably apply to the Bulldogs to, to oh, a Cronulla's, Cron- Cronulla's a great Cronulla's the big one. Very small geographic area. Like they don't cover a huge area. They've got clubs either side of them that kind of fence in their supporters, their kind of base of supporters. They can't uh, expand or grow in any way. They they're can't really grow because area. they've got yeah. Saints right near them. They've, yeah. They had Illawarra right near them. Um, they had, similar to the Bears, had, you know, had, had a reasonably good side during the 90s but didn't win anything. Uh, had some good players, but weren't one of the great clubs of the time, uh, you know. And there's no re- there's no reason other than the injection of money from Super League that Cronulla survived and North died. That, that there's nothing no. about, there's nothing about Cronulla I don't think from and I've read a bit about this. That there's nothing about Cronulla that makes them more worthy of surviving than Norths, other than the fact that Cronulla went and went very early to Super League. They got a heap of money for it. Uh, and they were able to then after that uh, they were in a much stronger financial position and they also were uh, able to keep all their Super League contracts which meant they had a really strong side 98-99 Yeah, that's exactly right Um, there's not only no reason they were more worthy to survive the Norths, they were less where the Norths were already making moves to capture the Central Coast or being not playing there. So they were trying to move out. So they actually made strategic moves to move out of their area and secure a future. And they were even intending to eventually move there. There was plans to gradually move there. So they had a long-term plan to set themselves up to differentiate from Sydney, to capture a new area and do this sort of stuff. But what Cronulla did, ultimately, while less less inventive, um, was really clever. Their management, they were the, oh, geez, they were the first club to go. Because you look around, you say two things. We wouldn't need less Sydney teams, cut them, or they emerge them with St. George or, or Illawarra. And they, yeah. you know, they merged the St. George or Illawarra. Why wouldn't you merge Cronulla with Illawarra? It's, the idea it's that they easy. survived is, is, you know, good luck to them. I mean, they're entitled to do what they do to survive. But the idea is that, they survived and South got kicked out and all this like and Balmain and West had to merge like the idea is that Cronulla still exists as Cronulla on its own with no merger no kind of their identity is the same all of that is bizarre it's a it's a miracle yeah. for them yeah it's exactly right they saw they did what the other clubs didn't and you're right good luck to them it was good management they would not have survived probably even in the ARL without Super League they would have eventually done something about merging teams and they would have been They've got the least history because it's a shorter history. They hadn't sort of won competitions and stuff and the ge- all the geographical reasons. So they would have been one to go and they saw that and they did exactly what they should have done and got on board with a vehicle that secured that future. And it, it's, um, that's, it's not a 
comment against them. What it's a comment yeah. of is just that Norths could have had that future too. Norths could have got all the things Cronulla got that secured Cronulla to survive from a weaker position than Norths could have applied to Norths. Um, I heard some of the players talk about, I think Billy Moore was the one where he said, you know, obviously, I think he said there was some guilt there, but at the end of the day, they don't carry it around with them because they just had to do what they thought was right at the time and they had no yeah. way of knowing what was going to happen. But that, you know, obviously it is something that those guys that love the club that much do think about, you know, that yeah, of course, ultimately that they could, they could had to make a decision. And if yeah. we made another one, would I be going, you know, would Billy Moore be going to Bears games now? And, you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, and it must hurt those guys to have bled, at least Blocker and stuff still have Balmain. Like it must hurt to have done what Billy Moore and Gary Larson did and to not be able to watch that team play, to have bled yeah. like that and to not be able to go. It, it must hurt, you know? Like, I just yeah, think about it now. And, you know, they, they could have survived. I'm not here to say they win a competition or whatever, but you give yourself a chance to. They'd have kept a squad that was up to it. Those players could have kept getting better. They would have had the resources and advantages other clubs had. And look, the other clubs that went to Super League, Cronulla were very good in the years following Super League. The Bulldogs made grand finals and, and were strong. You know, those clubs, obviously Brisbane, the, those clubs did, get in a position to do things that Norths mm. could have also got in that spot. And I think if you'll indulge me, sort of the other relevant thing, if you want to look at what staying with the ARL did to Norths, they beat Brisbane in this game by a field goal, the back-to-back yeah. reigning premiers. They beat Brisbane once earlier that year. So they were two out of three for the year for Brisbane. They lost mm-hmm. one of them, beat them in another game. They beat them 21-16 in a 96 final before Super League. Yeah. Um, so that they, they've beaten this, 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 classic Brisbane side yep. by these amounts. When they come back in 98, I know they finished fifth and they did okay. They got beat 60 to six. Yeah. And, and what that is, is that they don't have guys like Hoppy and these guys. Cause what happens when super league comes around, you might still get to exist and you might even keep a core of your players. But what happens is you get picked off. There's this other competition paying guys million dollars and all this sort of stuff yeah. is that they didn't, they didn't keep all their players. They kept enough of them to compete in the split competition, but they didn't keep all of them. Some of them went here, there and everywhere to play on, on big deals. Mm. Some of the clubs, particularly Brisbane, as we've spoke about, use this to an incredible advantage. They got a 97 side is absurd. The 98 side is absurd. And they were allowed to keep this side. So they, when this competition split, clubs like the Bears and some of these teams just lose one, two or three players. Not the whole team, just a couple yeah. around the edges. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to, the Knights are a good example because I know them well. And, like, they lost Mark Sargent. They lost Jamie Angeco. They lost um, uh, Robbie McCormack. The, those guys all played representative football. They just weren't yeah. there. They just got um, when, when they're just not there. Robbie Ross wasn't in reserve grade. He goes to the Mariners. And these guys, so what you do is you just get picked off around the edges. So you get picked off around the edges, losing three or four players. And Brisbane add three or four players. That's sort of what happens. So you go from this 94 to 96 run where Norths are able to beat the Broncos twice in the finals and have a good solid record on them. So you go to 98 and it's 60 to 6 because they're just two or three good first graders down. And Brisbane are like five rep players up and that that even though north stay in the competition there's just you know what i mean there's just that what they've lost is just that ability to beat a broncos and to win yeah, a grand final to put yourself in a prelim yeah, yeah you can't get into it the, not good enough anymore <clears throat> yeah. yeah yeah it's just that edges right. everyone gets shaved on the edges everyone like north loses one two or three and 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 brisbane sides don't and it's not a criticism of Brisbane it's a criticism of the loss of the ability because of circumstances beyond everyone's control really to to compete and to you know they didn't 
they could no longer get in a final with Brisbane and, and have a chance of winning it anymore. There'd be no reality where they could have beaten that Brisbane side in 1998 at all. No, you know? that's right. Like, Despite having a number of really good players. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's it. And, yeah, that's, that, that's what comes out of this game for me is that this is, you know, this north side was entitled to have a big future and, uh, and they were to an extent victims of circumstance, they're victims of Super League, victims of the fact that it just rained a lot in the year that they were trying to get their new stadium built in a new market where they probably would have got very big crowds and it just wasn't built in time and stuff like that, you know. There's just a lot of things... They wouldn't from... have been kicked out if that happened, you know. That, no, that wouldn't have, there's just a lot of things allowed. that... Yeah. There's a lot of things that had to go wrong from this, from beating Brisbane in 1994. There were a lot of things that had to go wrong for, for the Bears to, uh, to have disappeared from, from first grade rugby league. Uh, but we have one the... more. Yeah, I'll tell you on. one more. We should kick on for that one more circumstance for you. We probably didn't touch on it enough, and we probably owe it to North fans to point this out. Is that if you look geographically, you know how we say you don't need the Sharks, Illawarra, and the Dragons, for example, it's too much in an area. Yeah. Um, if you look at it with the same rationalisation, oh, yeah, what, you you, what you didn't need was Manly and North. They're covering the same yeah. geographical area, and the game was run by Manly people. Ken yeah. Ark and, uh, you know, Arco and yeah. that ran the game. It's, uh, they ran the game. They were manly people. There's a long history that Norse fans will tell you that they were always sort of undercooked by, by manly and undercut by manly in that sort of way. So when it came time there, the fact that the people on the ARL side, there was very, Bozo's another one, there was very, very influential ARL figures that would have to be involved in the peace talks and sorting it out that yeah. were not going to have manly you know, be the ones that sort of would... I know that they merged and everything else, but they just mainly were not going to be the ones that missed out over North. So, and North no. weren't going to get any help no. being to be end up the team that was over there. Yeah. No, that's true. That's another thing. Yeah, you're right to mention that. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. You know, the Bears, I don't know. I would love to be able to go to North, to, to football at North Sydney Oval now and watch and watch them. But, uh, you know, and who knows? I mean, they're still... They, they, you know, flow pops up whenever they want to. Whenever there's a team in trouble, or whenever there's talk of expansion, he's always he's always available. They might come back with some guys someday, Central Coast or Brisbane or Perth or you know Qatar or somewhere. But um, yeah, it's just I don't know. There is a kind of melancholy about this about this result when you think about what came after it. But I really enjoyed the game, and we love the Bears. The cemetery is ruthlessly pro Bears. Um, we've had some feedback. People say, look, could you stop doing episodes about the Bears? No. The answer to that's no. <laughs> we'll be talking about the Bears till there's nothing, le- there's nothing left to say about them. Uh, and uh, we, we make no apology for our pro Bears editorial line here at the Cemetery. Guys, any final thoughts on this, uh, this marvellous game? Go the Bears. Up the Bears. Until next week. Signing off from the Rugby League Cemetery. Taylor goes for the shot. Taylor, he's got it. Taylor, he's got it.